Welcome to the Razan Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode 35. I'm Joel Payne from Resound Worship. I'm Sam Hargreaves from Engage Worship. And this is a podcast to equip and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. In this episode, we'll be reflecting on the recent worship songwriting retreat, dissecting the classic song, My Hope is Built, or Cornerstone, thinking about how to use repetition and innovation in songs according to neural science, as well as responding to your tweets, posts, and emails. Sam, welcome to podcast number 35. Whoop, whoop. I see you have a cool-looking Bob Dylan t-shirt on. Oh, thanks. Is that because you are cool or because you felt like you'd look cool if you wore a Bob Dylan t-shirt? Uh, I, I am making the t-shirt look cool. That's what it is? Yeah, that's what it is. It is are you a Dylan fan? Oh, yeah. Are you? I, I, yeah. I've never... I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, to be a proper Dylan fan, you have to, like, go to every concert and have every album and, you know, be able to discuss his lyrics in depth. I, I just like him. Cool. I'm not a completist. Fair enough. What have you been up to? Um, well, we've been doing uh, events for our Whole Life Worship book. Um, so we were in Bath a few weeks ago, which was really good, really good bunch of people, some really positive feedback, people saying, oh, yeah, well, we immediately went away. And we talk about um, kind of a one degree shift, so making like one small change that makes a difference over time. Yep. Uh, and they, they, just, um, they just change one song the next day as a kind of one, you know, one little step. And they said... Um, so they sang this song, We Seek Your Kingdom Throughout Every Sphere, which Andy Flanagan and Noel Robinson wrote together. Okay. Um, and another guy. And um, it's set to the tune of Abide With Me. So it's really easy to pick up and do. But it's got these great lyrics about making a difference for God in every sphere. And they said, you know, it was, it was really easy to pick up. And afterwards, there was like a couple of minutes of silence as people kind of reflected on the song. And so that was encouraging. Brilliant. Yeah, I've been doing some work for uh, London School of Theology, writing an online BA course um in theology of worship which has been exciting and then getting ready for there's a conference there on the 17th of july oh, yeah. uh, on integrating theology and contemporary worship so i'm doing a little talk uh there's people like lester ruth yeah and graham 12th tree and other really great speakers so um i'm, I'm looking, looking forward, forward to, to it actually i haven't booked it you know what? i'm like booking in for things yeah i'm assuming i can still get in but i better book i'm looking forward to it i might not come to your talk what would you would, that's okay. <laughs> would you mind that? No, that's fine. On that, well, just I have the privilege of your company and your wisdom on so you know many what I'm occasions. Say. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. got an idea. I've got an idea. Is what you might say. <laughs> cool. You know that um, the the BA course you're doing. Can people do? Is that just uh, a sort of a residential undergrad? Can people do it distance learning? Yeah, that I've been writing an online um, version of cool. the theology of worship, so people can do it either blended so they can do some at lst and some online or i think you can do the whole thing online as well brilliant so we'll, um, we'll put a link to that in the notes for the yeah do uh, for the podcast lst online ba lovely so what have you been doing joel well i've been at worship songwriting retreat 2017 Ooh. oh my goodness that's what my son says at the moment all the time he's two except <laughs> he says oh my goodness it's quite funny when he does because he's so small oh my goodness <laughs> if he saw sees a, a spade or something but oh. it's completely appropriate what an amazing time so we had there were 26 of us i think including leaders there we we're in wydale hall north yorkshire um looked after by the lovely mark and helen and um oh wow just so wonderful it's the third one we've done and i think about half came back and half were new 
um, and a mix of people who are, comp- well, you know, one guy in my group, he basically never really written a song before. Three to people have been writing for years and years. They come together. We have some sessions that kind of bookend the day with some input, worship together. And a lot of it is built around free time for writing and feedback groups. And the feedback groups, what were they, nine or ten people each. And people sharing their songs, encouraging each other. The, just the, the way, running from Sunday evening through to Wednesday lunchtime, the way that the that kind of love and support and generosity and, and so mm. on builds during that time. It's so incredible. So I, I'm one or two brilliant so- songs. I mean, one of them I brought home when we've started the recording straight away and we're going to put it out wow. hopefully next week by a guy called awesome. Andy Clark. Absolutely great. And if I get it finished in time, I will put it as the featured song on the end of this podcast. Oh, terrific. If I don't, well, it'll just be a, a surprise song. So really <laughs> brilliant. The highlight of the thing, and it has been for the last three times, and it just up a notch this time was the Tuesday night concert. So on the final night, everybody, and even from the most nervous to the most confident, yeah. People come and um, they play one of their songs. And usually it's something they've written on the retreat. Sometimes it's not. Depends how the time's gone. And the really lovely thing is that the moment they get... Well, after about three words, their feedback their feedback group joins in and uh. just starts singing along. And it's in this acoustic, this chapel with the most incredible acoustics. Yeah. And then 25 people who can all sing in harmony... And then the rest of the group picks it up. And by the time they're two-thirds of the way through the chorus, the whole place is singing. And it's the most amazing <laughs> sound. And I, I said to people, you will never get a more encouraging... You know, This is the best audience you'll ever have. So yeah, yeah. I encourage you to have a go at doing your thing. Yeah. And it's exactly what happened. I'm including one guy who sat, who, who had just hadn't had the nerve to, to sign up to do it. And halfway through, we had the interval. He came along and said, Joel, can I, I think I want to do something. I just think... I shouldn't miss this opportunity mm-hmm. and he did and he he sang this song and people people were on their feet i mean it wow. was like it was the Terrific. moment of the whole thing so oh, yeah that's really so good. Cool. So I'm buzzing i'm uh matt osgood and geraldine loose with superb co-leaders bringing so, so they're such different characters bringing so <laughs> yeah. many different things to it and um yeah wow so I, we've, we've already penciled in next year oh that's cool i was the, chatting to geraldine this morning and she yeah. was saying how brilliant it was like she'd, she'd been last year and she said that she thought came away from last year thinking yeah that was really good and then she came up from this year going wow like that was amazing and i think yeah. she said that your your kind of talk on the first evening really set the tone because you were talking about how you know there's there's this there's this kind of tension or thing that kind of works together of both being inspired by god and the spontaneity and the kind of listening to god and then the kind of working and the order and the you know developing and she said that that really gave a a a sort of foundation for people to be really kind of listening to god and being kind of open to the spirit and spontaneity through the week and then also you know developing and honing so well done well fantastic it was so good so uh yeah maybe Interestingly, almost everybody lived in Birmingham upwards. Okay, huh. so there might be room for one sort of down south in the you know in the Cotswolds yeah. or something. I don't know. Yeah. No, so we we ought to look into that. And if I can manage it, Sam, I'll get you along next year to to one of them or something. Um, one day I'll go you to, to one. I love you to experience <laughs> it. It's really wonderful. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is just we've been the album project we've been talking about just started to get one or two mixers back from Shane in Nashville. Mm. If you I think I said this before, just Google Shane D. Wilson and look at his photo yeah. on the on his front page of his <laughs> website. He looks fantastic surrounded by all his gear. It I'm struck again by what a skill mixing is. It, yeah. It's incredible. I um, 
I mean, the guys we're working with are super talented producers, but that's their skill. Shane's skill is mixing, and he takes this sound and brings it back, and you think, how did you... It just sounds like everything in the world is happening in this track, <laughs> and yet it's only guitar, drums, and piano or something, you know. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, very exciting. Looking forward to sharing those as soon as possible. That's cool. Um, should we have a look at some correspondence? Yes, please. Um, we got a great message from Kate on Facebook, and I'm going to read it for you, and then we'll see what we can do to respond. Yeah. Um, and also, it got quite a bit of interaction. Kate said, how are you encouraging women songwriters, and what are your current stats? Mm. Which is great. And then she clarified in response, so I'll just read that. I'm passionate about encouraging women in their gifting, and apart from a few high-profile names, it's definitely a male-dominated area. I so love what Roseanne do in terms of providing singable, inspiring songs that cover so many areas of Christian life that are often forgotten, but I'd love to see more women encouraged to get writing. So, the, we need to respond to that. Can I just, I want to kick off because um, Kate yeah. was, was particularly thinking about, you know, she'd seen the pictures of the songwriting retreat and so on, and just seen there's a lot of men there. And I yeah. had several conversations on that, I mean, basically the answer is Kate, I don't think we're doing very well at all. Um, and I and we want to do better. And I and I don't know exactly why, and we'll try and chew this over a bit, but we had, out of 25 attending, we have four four female attendees, plus Geraldine, yeah. who, is, who is leading. Um, and I would love to see women. I'd love to see young women as well. We have female writers involved with Resound. Um, they're not old, but they're not young. Um, mm. So... I don't think we're very good. I don't think we're doing a very good job, and I and I, I, I agree absolutely with the premise of the question. So, Sam, what um, what is, what do you think? I mean, in terms of how we're doing or, or what we could do. Uh, well, I think something I've been really encouraged about is teaching at LST in the worship department, where I used to be on the faculty, and now I'm a, a guest lecturer. But um, the ratio there in most of the classes is about fifty fifty, uh, and that would include in the songwriting classes right. as well. And so. Yeah. And I've taught the songwriting classes with Geraldine for the last few years. And um, that's been really encouraging to see female writers, you know, being encouraged in their gifts. People like Gemma White, who sang on our yeah. Christmas album. Yeah. She's a great writer. Uh, Amy. Um, uh, oh, I'm going to say her name wrong because she's got married now. Um, <laughs> she is now Amy Jane Farrar, uh, not okay. Amy Jane Wilson anymore. Um, but she is, again, she's a terrific harpist and, and worship leader, uh, but she also writes brilliant songs. Uh, I just marked a couple of projects from people like um, Chin Simon, who's from a kind of Pentecostal background, uh, Jemima Payne, again, writing great songs for her dissertation. So the, the women are out there. Yeah. And there is examples of people encouraging them. But uh, I also think that what somebody said on, on the on the comment on Facebook was really true that typically um, women might be less um, confident oh, this, this to kind of Helen push... This was Helen who said this. Yeah. 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 Might be less likely to push themselves forward uh, when it comes to things like this kind of thing. Yeah. And um, I was listening to a podcast the other day where a guy was was talking about um, African-Americans, in obviously in, in America... And it was talking about um, these kind of gifted programs they have for school kids. Yeah. And the statistics show that if you have uh, a white teacher, uh, it's less likely that a white teacher will put a black student into a gifted program than if you have a, a black teacher. Right. And it's, it's something about um, 
people who are in sort of authority or areas of influence um just kind of um being able to relate to people like them and therefore mentoring and encouraging and putting them forward yeah. so one of the things i would say is you know it's amazing to have geraldine as part of resound and lst and the, what what she does in terms of mentoring girls and women in this area and i think we need more of that you know we, we've had people haven't we on the podcast yeah. Sue Rinaldi, yeah um interviewed rachel wilhelmer a little while ago but i think we need to encourage that more girls who are currently already in areas of influence and then i guess for us guys we we just need to be really intentional about this mm. um and what helen said on the on the comment on facebook was we need to give direct invitations to people yeah rather than a blanket anyone can come to this actually the likelihood is that um a, a man might count themselves in earlier than a woman would who might prefer to be asked directly yeah that's interesting i mean i get sent songs by people from time to time yeah. and i just can't remember i mean they're just all men as far as i can remember mm, yeah so maybe there's a, a male thing happening there in either in terms of i mean we get into tricky territory but either in terms of character or in terms of what's socially culturally you know acceptable and therefore yeah. informs the way we act i'm very aware as a person that um i don't can say one of these controversial things that my wife always sort of rolls her eyes at when i say ah. when I, when i'm a bit i'm basically i'm a bit sexist in the same way i'm uh -huh. a bit racist i'm a bit you know i don't I, I know that much as i want to i don't relate exactly the same way to people who are not like me as yeah. I do to people who are very like me. And so if I don't constant, intentional is the word, if I don't make a point of being intentional, I will mm. continue to find and encourage a mentor, white male singers, probably with beards, because that just <laughs> seems to be the way, <laughs> they're yeah. the ones I'm drawn to. Um, so there's a challenge there for me Another another related question is: yeah. Do you think that women write different kinds of songs? I th oh, I think they probably do because it's like um, I, as a sort of a, a comparison, it's like comparing male and female preachers, isn't it? I think. Mm. Um, there's just men. Well, men and women are different, and 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 mm. so you can't necessarily. Or the way you have the panel shows. Here's a great example. I, I remember this from. Um, Read a, an article by Caitlin Moran or Moran, who writes in the, uh, I think it's the Times or the Guardian Times, or something. Yeah, yeah she does yeah. A, a, a few years ago saying where people said, "Why don't you go on these panel shows on TV?" Um, and she said, "I'd never gone to panel shows because they're designed. The whole the whole thing is designed for men. Mm. Um, it's not designed if if you designed a show for women to be on and interact, you wouldn't come up with a panel show. And so that's why you often you see female comedians go on. And they have this kind of quota system." But they don't sometimes seem to be as funny because they're they're basically trying to fit into a structure and a and a style that that's not them. And so anyway, it's a long-winded answer to yes, probably. Yeah, I mean, what we wouldn't want to do is say this is a girl's type song. You yeah. know, obviously a girl is going to write songs about flowers and birds and you know, because uh, that would just be sexist. But yeah. I guess what I would want to do is to say to everyone and particularly to girls in this instance. Please be yourself as you write a song. Yeah. Um, and again, I think, you know, Sue, uh, uh, sorry, Geraldine is a brilliant example of this. Yeah. Is that actually when she writes a song, she is Geraldine. She hears herself. She's not trying to copy somebody else or be somebody else. And I would encourage everyone to do that, to, to write out of their heart, their experience, 
and that probably will look different for you know a lot of girls than it would be the way that that guys would write a song yeah um we've had a lot of um women involved on our forum haven't we well, we've that's done true that. that's yeah yeah actually quite active in terms of when we've done the 12 song challenge and the song cycle and so on yeah we don't have great answers i don't think um, well we are two men so that's probably yeah. another <laughs> oh, weakness of this us answering this question oh, but dear. It's, i know it's it's good to have the input from Helen. I think that, you know, on, on Facebook, I think that that's really... And, and also, uh, is it Kate that asked the question? Yeah, yeah. And maybe, you know, we, we have had definitely had women on the, on the podcast before, but maybe we need to be more intentional about getting some other, yeah. other voices. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got a, just like this little... little half. You know, I have my half-formed ideas that I bring to uh-huh. you. And my, one of my little half-formed ideas is maybe, maybe 2018, there's something about making this priority across... Across all of Resound and what we're doing in terms of writing mm. and publishing and resourcing and, and so on. Yeah. Let's have a think. Um, let's dissect a classic. Dissect a classic. The classic song for this episode is Cornerstone or My Hope's Built and Nothing Less. I always struggle because my, my default is always to say the first line. Which is you, correct. Yeah, but you, then... You have to then go brackets cornerstone. Otherwise, I don't know what it is. <laughs> the uh, air brackets. Written by Edward Mote, Eric Liliero, Jonas Mirin, and Ruben Morgan. Um, so we're going to have a look at that. I, just a little bit of the background to it, which you can find just by Googling. I found a, an interview on Worship Together um, where Ruben Morgan tells a bit of the story. He was visiting Stockholm not long after the um, there been quite a big... Um, episode of the, a guy with a gun and a big tragedy in in the area and everyone was in shock and they were trying to think what can we sing and he said he got together with Jonas and Eric who's the worship pastor at Hillsong Stockholm and um, sorry Stockholm and um, <laughs> he said the words of the hymn just seemed right but they wanted to find a way to claim because this he said that this idea that Jesus is the only foundation we can build our lives on so when disaster hits mm. other foundations are pulled away and that's why he it made a really helpful point. Writing worship songs is a pastoral work, and in this case, they were in pastoral. So they got together, and he said they just kind of came up with a new tune. And then this is the way that Reverend Morgan describes his his songwriting. It never, never gives away a lot. I think he just finds it all too natural. So he just sort of yeah. wrote, wrote a good new tune, and then just came up with this chorus, <laughs> which just went, "Christ alone, cornerstone." Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> so that's what they did. That's the song. And if we just backtrack one step, so it's based on a hymn by Edward Mote, mm. who was a Baptist pastor in Horsham in the early 1800s, mid-1800s. And he writes, he actually wrote this uh, a letter to a, the Gospel Herald. And mm. he said, One morning it came into my mind as I went to labour to write a hymn on the gracious experience of a Christian, in, in inverted commas. As I went up to Hoban, I had the chorus, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And isn't that interesting in itself? He had the chorus first. He had the chorus first, yeah. yeah. It says, In the day, by the end of the day, I had four verses complete and wrote them off. And on the Sabbath following, I met my uh, brother King as I came out of Lyle Street meeting, who informed me that his wife was very ill and asked me to call and see her. I had an early tea and called afterwards. He said it was his usual custom. I don't know why he tells you about the early tea. <laughs> he said I was, it was worried. I was just, worried he was going to be hungry. Have you eaten no. anything, Edwards? You've just spent all day writing hymns. <laughs> anyway, he asked me to come in. It was his usual custom to sing a hymn, read a portion of scripture and engage in prayer before we went to a meeting. He looked for a hymn but couldn't find it. So I said, well, I've got some verses in my pocket. If you like, we could sing them. 
So he did, and his wife enjoyed them so much that after the service he asked me as a favour to leave a copy of them for his wife. I went home by the fireside, composed the last two verses, wrote the whole off and took them to, to Sister King. As these verses so met the dying woman's case, my attention to them was more arrested and I had a thousand printed for distribution. Sent one to the spiritual magazine, without my initials, which appeared sometime after this. Brother Reese of Crown Street, Soho, brought out an agility, then goes on to tell you, basically, to say, so yes, I did write this hymn after all. Um, yeah. There you go. So that's um, Edward's account of, of the writing of it. Um, Sam, do you want to kick us off on, um, on what um, what makes this work? It work. I mean, it, it works, doesn't it? What makes it work? Um, well, I'm just I'm I'm encouraged that the guys at Hillsong are looking to revive uh, an old hymn, and I think you know there's a lot um, said and spoken about you know the difference between hymns and and songs and how often. You know, a, a song can be um, much more about your own personal experience, and actually, you know, a, 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 a hymn can be much more objective mm. and can say, "This is the truth. This is who." Uh, and now, this this is actually kind of coming in between the two because it does talk about our experience, but it really is putting the, the focus on God. And I think that that is a real strength. You know, it's it's about trust in God. It's about you know, nothing else is going to be a foundation my life and i think it's it's really good that they've taken that and they've they've kind of breathed fresh life into it so i think maybe two things that stand out because actually we ended up with a very interesting facebook discussion based on this which we're going to come to in a minute so we'll hurry through the things that make it work and one is the simple sequence melody in the verse so it does a tune yeah. do, 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 then lifts it do, 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 do. Um, in, with the intervals the way they move or it's virtually a sequence very simple it's got an atmosphere to it which is a kind of classic Reuben Morgan thing just kind of dwell on a chord slow harmonic changes and then when it hits the chorus and it's it's, it's funny isn't it because it's almost like a song that doesn't actually have a chorus mm. in the way that the Christ alone cornerstone because it's Christ uh, chord four dubbed chord five to four to five to four to five it's sort of it's more like a pre-chorus and yeah. particularly if you do the octave leap it's all very low down so the whole song which is why they kind of build to this whenever we do it we get to to the end of the high chorus and then feel like you have to power through a few chords because you've got to make the most mm. of being up there. But it's cleverly written because you suddenly the, the momentum stops and you focus in on and you dwell on simple words. Christ alone. Corner. I mean, it's just simple, simple, simple. So I, yeah. it's a great lesson in, in songwriting in that respect. Yeah, I think another positive thing is the... Um is the introduction, that little da-da-da-da-da-da, mm. which when I first heard it, I couldn't get uh, out of my head. We will build this thing together, Stan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I've just ruined that for everybody else now. Absolutely, for all six but, of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, but um, I do think that we talked about this, um, I think, last week in relation to the Songs for Sunday stuff, that actually having those little quite simple kind of... Um, melodic links between verses give something for either an electric guitar or a flute or a violin or yeah just something musical and it's really not difficult but it does it kind of it, it sets up an arrangement it sets up an atmosphere um which i think is is well written yeah um so we go on to the the critique bit of it yeah um it's fascinating isn't it because it's an unusual song and i think we found this when we've looked one of two songs sometimes it's just undoubtedly it's powerful it's engaging but it does a weird thing like it doesn't really have a chorus in in mm. the traditional sense of a chorus it doesn't it sort of doesn't really go anywhere because when it arrives 
this not, and so it comes back on its uh, recapitulates what it's had. So it's, it's unusual in that sense. And I can imagine if someone had brought it along, I'd have said, I really like these bits, but where does it go? Why doesn't it? Mm. And perhaps until you've experienced it in in its context, in full context, particularly in a kind of quite a loud environment with lots of voices around you, maybe maybe it's hard to pick up. But the main thing really is the way that the words of an old hymn have been appropriated. Yeah. And not changed. Yeah. And yet within that text, there's a, at least a couple of phrases where it's not altogether clear what Edward Moat is getting at. No. I mean, we talked about this right back in the beginning of the very first podcast we did, uh, where we talked about Hark the Herald Angels Sing, didn't we? Yeah. And how actually even in the earliest days of that, it was being changed, um, you know, it was... What was the first line of that? Oh, it was something like "Hark, the happy welkin ring," or or something yeah. like that. Yeah, just and, you know, what? it's just inevitable that language is going to change. Yeah, um, and the things that were were perfectly understandable, you know, when it was written, is not necessarily going to be the same. And I, 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 there's been some, you know, some people chatting on the Facebook group. It's been a really good discussion. Should and, we, should we and, have a look? Yeah. So we, I, the the, the first expression is so. Uh, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy rest on Jesus' name is the lyric. Um, and so I just put on Facebook, on our resoundworship.org page on Facebook, um, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. What do you think that means? And we've got loads of comments and loads of discussion. It's really interesting. Let me just run through a few of the things that um, people suggested it might mean, which I think was quite cool. So Matt said he thinks it means not trusting in material things. Okay. Daniel said he thinks it's a frame of mind, i.e. an emotional experience. He also did a bad joke as well, which was, um, why do worship leaders not shop at Ikea? Because they dare not trust the Swedish frame. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Murray said, this may as well be a foreign language. Fair enough. Uh, Jill, it could be referring to music or it could be referring to life being framed by sweet things. Example, money. So maybe more like a picture frame. David said human frame is a is a normal expression. So um, it probably refers to other people. There also seems to be an implicit but clear derivative link to Psalm 20, 20 verse 7, about some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Josh said, I've always read it, so I won't put my trust in anything else, no matter how attractive it might be. So it's sort of about the sweetest. Richard said, for someone over 70, the first thing you think of is a Zimba frame. So frame <laughs> is actually a... Cr well, they made the point that actually that was... Well, he said that was the original audience of the hymn. Uh, I... But certainly somebody who needed a crutch. That's interesting. And, you know, so frame frame is about a crutch and, and Christ is is the crutch on which we lean. lean. Um, Chris, frame of mind. Andrew said he thinks of a frame of snooker. Jimmy <laughs> on Twitter said it, it makes him think of, of um, scaffolding um, because it's about solid ground, house being uh, built and that kind yes, of thing. Yes. Oh, that and, actually makes sense. And Dave, our minister, said, I may had a go explaining this once. I think it was something to do with knitting or cross-stitch or something. It was definitely needlework related. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go. The only th thing I will throw in is that Edward Moat was a cabinet maker. Um, I'll leave you with that thought. So, um, Sam, <laughs> what do you think it means? And, and probably more importantly... Um, do, does it, do you think it matters? I guess that's the question. I think that the most logical one out of all those answers, did you say that Chris Juby said that it was emotional state, like frame, frame of, of mind. mind? Yeah. That seems to make the most sense to me. Um, 
to be honest, if I've when I've used because I used to use the original hymn, it's yep. it's it's slightly been superseded now. It's quite hard to use the original hymn with the original tune. Um, Actually, even original tune is slightly. There's, there's so well, many tunes the, to the familiar tune, of this, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I used to use that a lot um, previous to to the kind of cornerstone version coming out, and I used to use the Jubilate um, lyrics. So Jubilate is the sort of group that that came before Resound and, st- yeah. and still exists. And one of the things that they did uh, a lot of was revising hymn lyrics, and they they called it. Um, uh, what was it? What's the invisible phrase? Invisible mending. Invisible mending. Now I'm yeah. not completely convinced it always is completely invisible, and particularly if you put it in front of someone who knows the the original. Yeah. Often they'll say, "What have you done to this hymn?" Um, but I used to use the version, so it said, "No merit of my own I claim, but yeah. holy trust in Jesus' name." And so that it feels like the main thing they're trying to do is rhyme with name. Uh, I certainly felt that it made more sense than. Dare not trust the sweetest frame, which I didn't really yep. understand. So I used to use that version and and feel pretty happy with it. Now I look at it now, I think no merit of my own. It's not really a phrase we use very often. Yeah. So I guess there's <laughs> there's a question as to whether we should be continuing to revise these things. Yeah. Um. But yeah, my 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 ultimate feeling is that. It's one of those situations where actually you could have gone the extra mile with this new version yeah, and just looked at some of those things that are really, you know, quite archaic and actually yeah. really hard to understand yeah, and just done a bit to kind of update them. Um, that would be my feeling. It was, uh, it, yeah, it's interesting. Isn't it? So the, the explanation I've heard, again, that sounded the most plausible is about the sweetest frame of mind because some of the other things, the sweet doesn't really seem to, like the, the scaffolding you'd say the strongest frame or something, wouldn't you? So, yeah. so it's got to be the good stuff or the good times, it fe- feels like um, mm. but nonetheless it is very hard to understand and then um, I think within this discussion, I think it was Josh um, said something about how we um, about the poetry, it's strange to me that we love poetry in here oh, oh no so david was saying about how there's poetic imagery in there and actually if we if we try and kind of complete translate everything we can lose the poetic imagery isn't it good to have an occasional image in a song that we need to chew on and mull over to get um get its meaning and josh kind of agreed it's strange to me that we love it in hymns scared of it in contemporary worship songs so it's a really interesting point the the potential flip side of that same point is that we accept in un, impenetrable poetry in hymns because yeah. it's in a hymn without questioning mm. it as opposed to the other way you know i do totally see their point but the flip side is that i think sometimes we look at something like an old hymn and say oh, well it's old it must be fine mm. either it's old and it must be theologically fine and maybe, you know, maybe it's not or lyrically yeah, it doesn't matter if you don't understand it because it because it's old and it sounds good and it's poetic interestingly with that one it never feels like it really impedes the flow of the of the song no. as you sing it you just kind of because the whole thing is about who cares what the first half is? I wholly trust on Jesus' name. Yeah, is, is, is yeah. the point of it, which is which is what you get to. But we have a few times when people, and I think you've done it as well, actually, Sam, um, have brought along a kind of revi- a new tune for some classic hymn words or, or slightly mm. revised version, tweaked it a bit, and we've often said, "This is great, but why don't you just work harder?" It, the content is all there in the lyrics, but why not work to make them? Because often they then just don't quite really fit the tune, and I was, why not? 
have a real go at this to bring out yeah. bring out the same thoughts and um, the same meaning. There's that other line as well. It's just because just people got onto it, which is the my anchor holds within the veil. Mm. Um, again, I think I always used to use the Jubilate version before this thing came out, and we we would have sung something else. But it's interesting because it sounds like a completely mixed metaphor. It is obviously an allusion to Hebrews six nineteen, yeah, which which says hope is an anchor. It goes through the through the curtain into the most holy place or something like that. So in itself, it's a completely mixed metaphor in the in the Bible verse. My yeah. question about it more is whether the, the whole notion of within the veil. I mean, there is no veil. That's the point now. Yes. So it's sort of it's gone through the curtain and actually obliterated it. So that for me would be the more unhelpful theological point about it. Yeah, and and actually that's that's the that's the point where I think we ought to to pay real attention here is. There are some things that are a little bit confusing or might take a little bit of chewing over or be a bit ambiguous. There are other things that actually might be actually misleading. Yeah. Um, and I feel that possibly the within the veil line is veering, veering towards misleading. Um, and so that would be the one that I would probably be more concerned about than than the, the sweetest frame yeah and we've discussed this before and i know we've not always agreed about sort of about the role of poetic language and i think i've said before i think poetic language actually make should make things more clear rather than less clear not more precise but should be better at conveying the meaning than yeah. the non-poetic language but i suppose i might put that slightly differently and at least say i think poetic language should not obscure meaning it, it can expand meaning but it shouldn't expand obscure meaning would you agree with that yeah i think so i mean i think we it's, it's quite easy to say oh it's poetry when it's actually just either bad writing or yeah it's old-fashioned writing um and quite often when someone wrote this you know older hymns for example when they wrote it they weren't being necessarily that poetic they were being they thought completely clear yeah and actually it's only now that we don't necessarily speak you know you read that thing out uh, by edward moat about you know, we um, it was it was his it was his practice to read a portion and yeah. you added. Yeah, I added the word scripture. So yeah, you know, because we don't we don't say that anymore. I'll read a portion. Yeah. Um, but it would have made perfect sense to him. So I I guess we just need to be aware that you know there are there are things that we we kind of excuse on the basis of poetry, um, but actually, yeah, I I feel I feel it's good that there are things in songs that are you need to chew on mm -hmm. but if it is completely obscuring the meaning or giving a possibly a, a wrong you know sense then i think we ought to be a bit more concerned mm. about that i think what there is probably no doubt about is that edward was looking for a rhyme with name <laughs> i mean wasn't he yeah yeah but holy trust on jesus name i mean that was the that was the thing and he thought what rhymes with name game frame bit of frame what could that I'll just I know what I'll do. I'll put sweetest frame. No one'll know what it means. No one They'll just see it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that might be what happened. Excellent. Uh, anyway. What about the um the key? Do you do it in oh, C man. and do the octave jump? No. No. I do actually do it with the octave jump. I do it in B flat. And um we so I sing it pretty low. So we just right. rumble along for the first two. And I, I quite like it. It's unusual to sing something that low. And I quite, 
um, you know, you can't belt it out, but it's just, my hope is built on the... That's a bit too low. But it just sits right... For me, it sits right at the bottom of my range. I absolutely mm. rely on a microphone. I normally ask if there's a, a female singer with me if they would mind making sure they sing the tune at that point. And then, be, sort of because you need the octave jump to give it a chorus. Otherwise, yeah. you've just gone through this thing where it doesn't quite... It's lyrically, it clearly goes somewhere, but musically, in a, in yeah. a sense, it doesn't. So, well, see, yeah. I go the other, I go the other way and do it in either E or F. So yeah. I take the whole thing up, yeah, um, and then you're singing the whole thing in the sort of medium range of everybody, yeah. Uh, and when you get to the Chrysler Cornerstone, it's not the high point of the song, yeah, but the whole thing sits sort of in that medium range, and that works for me. But it doesn't doesn't give you that kind of sense of climax that you've got if you do the octave jump. Yeah, I think you might be a better person than me, as you put it. In a, I put it in a range that works for everybody, and that is, <laughs> that is a good thing. It is a good thing. Well, it's a, it's clearly a classic song. It's sung all over the world. It's a great gift to the church. So we, you know, I I know when we are uh, analysing these songs, sometimes we critique them, and partly because it's our role and to try and think about songwriting. But we're pretty much always saying, you know, thank you for this song because it's been yeah. a great gift to us and to churches all over the world. time for the workshop and uh, on this episode we're going to be thinking about neural pathways expectation innovation and response and this is all sam's fault always because i think um two years ago sam often gives me a book for my birthday it's very kind i don't think think you're very clever joel (laughs) learned (laughs) they don't look like they've been read when you give them to me i i must (laughs) i need to get you a book sam for your birthday um but a couple of years ago, you bought me a book, which was called The Ladybird Guide to Midlife Crisis. But you also <laughs> bought me um, a book by a guy called Samuel J. Levitin called This Is Your Brain on Music. And Samuel is a, um, a former musician, music producer, turned academic, who is into the neural science of how your brain works with hmm. music. This is your brain on music. So it's written... At, um, hopefully at a popular level it's a little bit complex musically sometimes but i think the neuroscience bit is very understandable um and i read this book and now i am not an expert on um neural science and i i'm probably even using the wrong word there but what he does <laughs> but i learned a couple of things from it which i've been able to see and apply to something it's one of those things i already knew this about songwriting but i never had a way of explaining it so i want to run this by you sam and the listeners and we can see if this makes sense for it i shall so the the basic idea is that um he's talking about how does your it spends quite a long time just talking about how does your brain recognize music and this is a great question he said it's essentially what your brain can do is hear all kinds of sounds coming from all kinds of places you live in a crowded place loads of different sounds they all arrive on this one little eardrum which vibrates and then your brain extrapolates that back into all the different sound sources separates them out works out which ones belong together and assembles some of them and says, oh, there's some music happening there. Um, and that actually, it may, it may speak of, I mean, this was written 10 years ago, but I think it's still true. Computers can't do that. You can't just bombard mm. a computer with a load of sound and say, is that music? Now, you could tell it, I suppose. Here, are, Here's a rule I want you to look for. Yeah. But our brains, so this incredible way that our brains have of, of processing and, and recognising music. And essentially, what they do is take the sound and then they compare it to things that are in the memory. So in our memories, we've got mainly, our understanding of what music is, is mainly cultural, which is why when you listen to music from other cultures, 
sometimes you think, I know that's supposed to be music, but it doesn't sound <laughs> like, you know, it's very yeah. different cultures that haven't grown up the same kind of Western harmony and so on. Um, so a lot of it's cultural. It's basically, it's in our memory, it's ingrained rules. And they say, does this fit into any of the rules or does it slot into any of the grooves that are in my mind that say what music is? And if it does, then, then I know it. Then it's definitely music. And more so, if I hear a particular song that I know, the reason I know it is because I go back into my memory and it comes in and my brain immediately says, oh, have I got anything like that already? And it has a look. And if it finds, in, and in terms of the way it kind of stores the information, it's these synaptic pathways. If it finds this music follows a similar synaptic pathway it's used before, it says, oh, I know that, I'll go and find it. So that's kind of what's going on in your brain. And it's a, an interesting point. We were both at a thing Maggie Dawn um, was speaking at uh, at the end of last mm. year, where she talked about how when you're young, your brain forms these kind of solidified pathways much more easily than when you're old. So when you're young, you're able to have a song, which you listen to a lot, gets connected to emotional experiences and so on. It just feels wonderful because when you then go back and sing it, it's like putting on an old, um, putting on an old glove. Is that a, a word? <laughs> something like that slipping into a comfort no it, it just it feels so familiar and, and essentially your brain loves familiarity your brain loves slotting back into the same groove that's why people have addictive behaviors sometimes mm. because or why when we sit down to write a song we just play the same chords in the same rhythm in the same way because we just slot into the same grooves in our brain yeah now you can argue there's good and bad things about that and how you might want to bump out of the groove but that's what's going on. A familiar pattern in your brain, a familiar pathway, your brain loves it. Feels good. So that's what you like. And when you get older, it's much harder to make those new solidified ones for sort of classic favourites. And that's why songs yeah. ain't as good as they used to be, apparently. <laughs> um, so essentially your brain likes it when music follows the rules and either the general rules of music or the internal rules of the song. So as soon as you start a song, you establish the key, the tempo, the time signature, and so on. And that becomes the rules of the song. And obviously, if you just keep changing those every few notes, we all say, well, that's not a song, that's not music, that doesn't work. Yeah. Because there are rules established. So that's the first thing you establish. Now, this is the key thing, and this is my main point. There's a kind of classic structure in um, song and hymn writing, which we often, I think, refer to as the kind of Stuart Townend, Keith Getty structure, where mm. they write a hymn... And it has a four-line structure. The first line is a melody, like it's taking Christ alone. Do 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 do. Second line, do 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 do. Exactly the same. Line three, do 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 do. And then back to the same melody for the for the fourth line. So you've got the same line, same line, different line, same line. Now, if you think about what we've just discussed. What's happening appears to be this. In your first line, you quickly establish some rules. The key, the tempo, the style, and other such things. Okay, so now the song's got to follow and obey those rules. And it's also got to kind of cross-reference to the rules in your memory of how music works. How does this style of music work? It can't go off to, to notes and chords and things that don't fit it. When you get to line two and you repeat exactly the same melody, what you do is that first little groove you formed in your brain you jump back into it and form it again. Mm -hmm. So you've created something where your brain says, ah, oh, we've got a pattern. We've got a rule. I like this. I know where it's going. I want to follow it again. This is what your brain does. But we get to line three and introduce some variation. And the important thing about variation is that actually it's a lot of how we, um, we perceive beauty 
or <coughs> excuse me or emotion so imagine for example how, how is a one singer sings a song and it seems quite dry and flat and lifeless another singer sings it and it's full of richness and in emotion and a lot of that and they've kind of studied this kind of thing is to do with how you how you push at the timing of it how you delay on notes or speed them up how you slide in and out of the um of the actual melody and the pitches and so on it's basically about taking or how you throw in a complete varied bit just a, a sudden variation on the melody mm. and that we see that as beautiful and emotive and arresting and engaging where it's basically the rule is recognizable but there's enough variation in it that we call that we recognize that as emotion and so that's mm. another example would be a, a sort of a human face um that a very symmetrical face in certain proportions is supposed to be very beautiful but if you actually just look at that in perfect symmetry and perfect proportion it's fine but a more beautiful face is one which has that kind of symmetry and proportion but the eyes are just a bit bigger or the mouth is, mm. different, or, you know, it has a bit of variation on it. So that's kind of how the beauty thing happens. So we've done line one. We go into line two and follow exactly the same pathway. And our brain says, okay, I like this. I know it's going, let's jump back into it. But instead in line three, we do something different, still obeying some of the rules, the shape, the, the kind of style, the kind of things we've dictated. Like, for example, it might've been pentatonic based or something. We stick with it. But it's a new melody, it's an innovation, it's a variation. At that point, our brain says, whoa, what's this? What are you doing? And it's a bit uncertain, what's happening? I don't know if this is beautiful or not, until it lands back in the old groove and says, ah, oh, yeah, that's better. Yeah, yeah. So you get this little thing, and it's a little um, structure it's quite well known to work in songwriting, which is basically if you have four things in a row, which are by and large the same, vary the third one for that exact reason. Set the first pattern, repeat it. Okay, that's the rule. Vary it. Whoa, where are we going? Come back mm. to it. I'm back in the rule that I like. I feel really satisfied. Yeah. And then you see that, and it's sometimes called the golden ratio as well, which is that kind of A4 ratio, which is about three quarters of the way through is the golden ratio. Um, and and hit your hit your variation there you see that for example in uh, a lot of songs at the moment which have verse chorus verse chorus oh well i know the pattern we go verse chorus hang on a minute we've done verse chorus once verse chorus again we're going to the bridge it's different yeah. it's related yeah. but it's different this feels good oh and then we're back in the chorus back into familiar ground or even the sing a verse sing another verse then go to the chorus, then come back to it. So you get this kind of breaking, mm. a pattern of four with a variation of third. Mm. You can do it in melody on the third line at four. You can do it, a limerick is a great example. That's established, it has a rhyme, it fits a rhythm. But the third line, so actually what you did is you varied the rhyming pace on the third line, and then you're back to which rhymes with the first ones. There you go. This is it. Expectations. You set up some expectation, introduce some innovation, and then come back for some resolution. And mm. it's a really handy songwriting device. It's really interesting, isn't it? I suppose it would le it'd lend you to think that often when people want to bring innovation within worship songs, yeah. possibly what they do is bring too much innovation or they bring it too early. Yeah. So somebody might say, oh, I'm so fed up of these four chords i'm gonna 
I'm going to start using loads of jazz substitutions all over the place. Yeah. And I think for most congregations, unless you are a particularly sort of jazz, I mean, and it, it, it does depend on the on the group, doesn't it? Because yeah. what is a, a normal format for one group is not a normal format for another group. But, you know, for most congregations, they'll go, oh, that's an odd chord. That's an odd chord, yeah. even if they can't express it in that language. And so immediately they're on the back foot. Whereas if you had a song that established a fairly, you know, standard bit of harmony and then brought some innovation in line three. Yeah. Um, but maybe as you do that, you would need to change the chord, but not necessarily vary the melody too much or yep. not necessarily vary the lyrics too much. So you're, I guess, you're, yeah, you're needing to be... Um, sort of sparing about how much innovation yeah. you bring. So it's a kind a of variation on a theme. When you bring in your innovation, it's a variation mm. on a theme. But if you haven't established your theme, mm. you can't see it as a variation. It's just something completely new that it's just nothing's going anywhere. It's interesting you mentioned jazz chords because jazz is one of those things that's all about improvisation. It's all, But actually everybody in jazz knows the rules. It follows really yeah. strict rules yeah. about how you can improvise. Because if I try and improvise jazz, it won't sound right. Mm. And so we know there must be rules. Otherwise, yeah. it's not like any note goes, is it? Because no. <laughs> otherwise, well, I'd be a some great jazz, but... <laughs> jazz improviser. <laughs> it, and I think unpacking what this means for lyrics. I mean, a lot of your examples have been have been melodic, um, but I think it would it would take some more thought to think how do we do this lyrically. I, I don't know if it's if it's a brilliant example, but it's something that I tried to do in my song, um, Christ Was Raised. Yeah. Because I had this idea that the resurrection of Christ ought to have more implications than just, oh, now I'm free from sin. It yeah. ought to impact. So I tried in verse one to, to do <laughs> a pretty straight song, you know, Christ was raised and therefore death has no, you know, sting and I, I'm free from sin. And, and then I brought the variation in, in, in verses two and three. So I want, um, and you know whether that works. I, I guess people could could choose for themselves. But if I'd have tried to bring in complete innovation of lyrics from the beginning of the song, yeah. people might have struggled to to pick it up and and feel kind of comfortable with it. Yeah, I mean one of the ways you can use it with lyrics is about the way you structure a line, just in terms of where you put. It sounds very sort of technical, but where you put the nouns and the verbs and the adjectives. Yeah. So um, our, our God is mighty and strong is, uh, okay, it starts with our God, it's got nine at the beginning, it's got adjectives at the end. Our God is mighty and strong. Our saviour is powerful to save. He lifts us up, he leads us on. Uh, our God is blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So yeah, what yeah. you've done is a, a structure, a, a grammatic structure that you actually repeat. So we set it and then you break the grammatic structure. Now I've done something a bit mm. like a lim limerick there where I split it in half, but... You can you can do that sort of, and it's the importance actually of, of re repetition, just sets the rules by which we know know how the song goes and by which our minds sort of understand and engage with it as music. Mm. Um, and but also you can do it lyrically. You can set repetition in the grammatic structure or even literally the language, the, the exact language that you use. Um, you can vary from it. You can come back to it. So that's the end of our podcast. And thank you for those of you who emailed in. Sorry, we didn't manage to um, read everybody's questions. Do keep getting in touch with us either by email, podcast at resoundworship.org, 
on Facebook at resoundworship.org, no, Facebook slash resoundworship.org and Twitter at resoundworship. We'd love to hear from you, um, respond to things that we've talked about in this episode. We'd love to hear what you think and what you have to say. Uh, we're going to just finish with a featured song. And excitingly, this is a featured song from the Worship Songwriting Retreat last week. It's by um, Andy Clark. Now, Andy's actually been writing this over a period of about six months or so, I think, uh, maybe maybe slightly less. And... Um, He's bounced it back once, once, twice as resound writers, and then a focused effort at the songwriting retreat, going to his feedback group, going away and working on it, coming back, refining it into this song that we have today. And um, so I'm delighted to share it with you. It's a song which basically is about um, it's about God in the hard times. Um, there are a lot of songs about God in the hard times at the moment. Hmm. This one makes me cry. Oh, so um, yeah. Uh, and particularly, I uh, particularly cried at the concert because it's just so, it's all so emotional, the whole thing. I feel like a, a mother hen. Um, so we're going to play this one for you. It's a live version recorded at the songwriting retreat. Uh, there's also a video on Facebook that you can watch. Uh, we just happened to capture this one. Uh, we're working on a studio version and hopefully um, we'll have the tracks, charts and scores and so on available for you before too very long. So until we meet again, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye for me. When God's perfect plans are hard to see And struggles surface everywhere We lay our lives before His sovereignty
is my defender And this I know He watches over me The darkness will not overwhelm my soul For my eternity is safe Jesus And Jesus, Lord of peace is with us now And will forever Shepherd King who leads us in to perfect stillness, Jesus, Lord of peace, is with us now and will forever be our Shepherd King who leads us in to perfect stillness.